0: Hi and welcome back to another edition of Safety Talks and if it's your first time joining us I'm your host Tamara Paris. Now I've got a great conversation with Dr. Michael Seitz of Blue Sky in play. We just decided to record our conversation. It was just so interesting. We're going to pick it up where Michael is explaining to me the difference between a bacteria and a virus.
1: Um, studying bacteria is a little bit easier because they're bigger. Okay, but that's not really the subject of this, but the 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 analogy of bacteria is a good one. Before we move to viruses, is that um, E. coli exists due to fecal matter, typically. So it's a gut born. It's in your, you know, your your gut, and um, if it gets exposed to food, either through animal or whatever systems, it gets into your food. You, you ingest it or you get some of that fecal matter on your hands or some contaminated source on your hands that contains E. coli. Um, and you ingest it. You lick your fingers or you eat a sandwich and you get it in. You bite into an apple or have a salad with that in. You will transfer that bacteria into your gut. And once it gets there, it's in its happy place. It'll get through your system and you will become infected and diarrhea and blah, 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 and you'll get sick. So when you're trying to spread a bacterium that is naturally alive in, 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 the, in the digestion system of animals and people, the best way to transfer it is to somehow get it back into your um, gut system. And we do that by touching, eating, and down it goes. It's, it'll be very unusual to breathe E. coli in and get an infection from that. So just being around somebody who has diarrhea, you probably won't get diarrhea by just being in the same room with them. It's just not going to happen very easily because that bacterium doesn't live in your lungs and your breath. Okay. So now we flip over to a virus that actually does live in your respiratory system. So in your lungs, it's probably very unlikely that you're going to have that virus on your sandwich and you're going to eat it and become sick in your lungs from something you ate. It's it's possible by some weird transfer mechanism, but it's highly unlikely. It's far more reasonable to say, if I um, breathe in or take into my saliva system so that it gets into my mucus system, that is the way to get a respiratory virus. Breathe it in. Okay, and then we got onto this topic of, of a mask. So obviously a mask is covering your face and that's, uh, you breathe through that mask. So, in principle, that's actually a very good idea is to wear a mask. But there are a few technical problems with masks, which I want to go into now. Um, one of them is that masks often don't fit that well. So I would say they're a 90-plus percent solution to breathing in stuff. Where they are, a fantastic solution, however, if you're in fairly close proximity to somebody who coughs or sneezes, so within six feet of a person, Coughs or sneezes, um, the droplets that that person will shoot out into the air are fairly large. By and by large, I mean that they will fairly rapidly drop to the floor, within six feet distance. So they may have a trajectory like you throwing stones and drop to the floor. However, before they get to the floor, you could breathe them in. So somebody sneezes on you, and you go, "Oh my goodness." you're wearing a mask, that droplet, that rain droplet will end up in the mask, rather than end up accidentally being sucked into your mouth. So what masks do really well is that somebody accidentally has a, an event, a sneeze, I'm calling an event, very scientific, is um, is that you, that you won't accidentally get that large volume contamination into your body so masks really work there where they do not work very well is with aerosols now aerosol is a is a far more i believe insidious and dangerous transfer mechanism and it's so poorly understood what an aerosol is an aerosol is a super fine droplet and how you can kind of not really but kind of um, experiment this with yourself is you can take a clean piece of glass a mirror And you hold it in front of your mouth and you just breathe in and breathe out against that piece of glass for a minute or two and then you look at the glass you go gosh i've actually put some little spots on there so that shows you that there is actually stuff coming in and out of your breath all the time it is fairly well researched that whether we can see it or not, we are continuously ejecting in our exhaust process. Mm-hmm. It is an exhaust process. You're pushing air out of your lungs. Very, very fine droplets. And these droplets are saliva and they sometimes have mixed in mucus and they will float around in a row. And they never actually fall to the ground. These, these, these particles are so small that they remain airborne. And um, a lot of guys use the analogy of sunlight streaming through a window. You look at it and you see all those little speckles, um, you know, the dust floating there. And you just go, wow, I normally can't see that. But if you shine a flashlight at night or you look at sunlight through a window, you can see that the air around us is actually full of small little particles. And if you blow it with your breath, you can see them jumping around like crazy. So those are aerosols.
0: Okay. they very, so- very
1: fine particles.
0: Okay, so this gets me in, in, when I'm thinking as a health and safety professional, one of my parts of my job is to eliminate risk, Michael. It's not about telling people, wear gloves, wear a mask, and and use some sort of PPE. If I was to go back to my hierarchy of controls, which I always do in my work, My first thing I wanna talk to somebody like like yourself as an expert is what do I need to do to eliminate this risk so my workers don't even have to think about it. And like for me right now, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but what what I'm doing is that um, workers are not in the work site right now. So I believe this is the best time to be cleaning not only the surfaces, but as well as the quality of the air.
1: I am so passionate about the air for a lot of practical reasons. So I love what you're saying. And I want to really, really drill down on this in practical sense. So workspace controls, which is what you're talking about, the hierarchy. So I love it when everybody says they wear PPE. That is, that is at the end of the day, like wearing your safety belt in your car. It will not, your safety belt will not prevent an accident. It'll just mitigate a circumstance. It's far better not to drink, not to speed, and to drive carefully. If you put on your safety belt, you should, that doesn't mean, oh, now I can drink and drive. Now I can drive like a lunatic because I'm wearing a safety belt. That's a ridiculous argument, right? You couldn't do that. Same thing with air quality. Just because you're wearing a mask doesn't mean now the air can be totally polluted. So I'll give a a practical example. Somebody has um, an infection in their chest and they're sneezing and coughing. So every single one of us has the capability of putting on a face mask. Cool. Now you have a huge sneeze. Good. That solved that problem, that first sneeze. But now your mask is filled with mucus because you just had an explosive sneeze Your nose is running. It's completely all over your face. What is the first instinct that every human being in the world will do? Just pull that mask off, right? Because your face is covered in mucus, for heaven's sake. You've just sneezed. You go, oh, my goodness, you want a tissue. For that time, the mask is off or shifted to the side out of pure human reflex. And if you've had allergies and you're sneezing all the time, you know what it's like to sneeze all the time and have to blow your nose. It's just life. Okay. So in that time that that person is taking the mask off to clean themselves up, at that point, the person is really injecting all their stuff into the environment. What, are we going to admonish everybody who sneezes and wants to wipe their nose? Heck no. So we have to have a system where we deal with real people. And this comes back to your point. We have to make the environment inherently safe. So let nobody drink and drive. Let nobody speed. Let's control the environment and the rules. And then we have safety measures in place, like masks, like secondary PPE. But we have to engineer the environment. And the whole philosophy of actually my company, Blue Sky, is that, and I'm going to, again, just digress briefly, the big differentiator of my company is that we put the filters into a smart box, into a box, Why? Because if you put the dirty filters that are going to have all these contaminants into a box and somebody handles the box when they dispose of them, they don't ever ever have to touch or open those filters. People say, well, people can wear gloves and they wear PPE. And I'm going, hold on. If you never touch the filters, you don't need that PPE.
0: And I want to stop you there too, (laughs) because now we're talking about our controls again, right?
1: Yes, controls. this Better is where
0: this is what I'm wanting to to get into is we need to be thinking forward. Yes, we're we're in a, the crisis zone right now, but Michael, this is never going to go away. We're always going to have a virus of this this virus as well as new ones come along.
1: Yes. And, Absolutely. and people
0: need to understand that it's not about being self isolated for 2 weeks it's about also rethinking how are we cleaning our environment
1: so let's just say we use this virus which is a pandemic at the moment as a way to push people to better work to to better work practices to better social practices so we often don't do anything until a crisis comes But the crisis then delivers new processes. So I am really, really keen on spreading the word. Let's be reactive to this pandemic with the knowledge that what we implement today is actually going to improve the quality and the safety of the future too. So we're not gonna take it out afterwards because frankly, flus and viruses every season cost a fortune and bring a lot of misery through the population because they spread rampantly and we seem to have no control and frankly i believe and i hope we can use this opportunity with the coronavirus to show that we are being really silly with how we manage infection when it comes to e coli if one person gets sick and it's established the spinach that was harvested in abc country they immediately take it off the shelves as a total recall there's an oh my word well that's because we know that the transmission is through the leaves and you eat it okay now viruses nobody is being truly open about the fact that we need to do a better job of controlling the air in closed spaces in public
0: and i want to stop you there and, and we, yes. will, we will get back to that.
1: Yes, lots but, to talk about.
0: <laughs> um, I'm going to interrupt you because when I work in retail, grocery retail. Yes. And we had a situation where they brought in, um, they were doing the environmental program, and they brought in bins and everything for composting. Yes. And the, when you compost, it releases fumes. And if you breathe in those fumes, it will make you very sick because you're actually breathing in fungus. So I have already in my own workplace had to fight for them to relook at air quality because when they did this environmental program, they were making people, not only the employees, but the customers sick also
1: from this so
0: this is not just a virus issue
1: absolutely it's pollens it's allergens it's bacteria that float it's spores in other words fungus all these things molds absolutely it all gets swept away with a common common thing so here is i'm going to use the best analogy i believe to think about our workspace um, environment and what we breathe okay so the first thing to to completely be crystalline is the concept of an aerosol. And now I'm going to give you the best example of an aerosol that we can see and sometimes we can't even see, but we can smell it. Cigar smoke. Cigar smoke is an aerosol. These are particles. It's not a gas. It's particles. You can capture it, cigar smoke in a filter. Right. So if somebody lights up a cigar, and that smoke is in there. You see the smoke around them at first in the area that they have breathed out. Now, I want to focus on the cigar smoke somebody puffs out because that is the same as the aerosol you breathe out. The actual cigar is just like your compost or it's, or it's just like maybe black mold or something. So that's the same analogy. But so imagine spores, uh, pollen, and, and, and aerosols that you breathe in and out that contain viruses, being that cigar smoke. If that cigar smoke, which is a reality in the environment, it exists. If somebody 10 feet away suddenly goes, hey, don't smoke in here, I can smell that. That is a sign that anything that is in the air will go from person to person, or from location to location. In a properly ventilated area, and by properly ventilated, I mean ventilation which either flows from the roof down to the floor or from the floor up to the roof. So vertical draft, not wind draft. We're so used to it blowing sideways. Well, sideways is how my cough ends up in your face. But if I cough towards the ground, as a silly example, I'm not suggesting it, It'll go down. It's not going to rain on you. So we need to create in public spaces situations where the draft is from top to bottom, just like air conditioning. The cold air, the warm air comes in through the ceiling and flows down onto the people. What we don't have is is where we withdraw the air from the bottom and then filter it through HEPA filtration, which captures all the aerosols because that's the stuff that's got the fungus, the bacteria, the pollen, and the viruses in, while we're recirculating it to take it from the floor back to the top, we have to remove that on the way and then put that air back in the room. So you've got a continual cycle. Heavens, we do it in our swimming pools. You suck the water out of the pool, you filter out the algae and everything, and then you put the clean water back in the pool.
0: So when we're looking at elimination solutions, what we yes. need to be doing is thinking about Okay, so we have the, the air blowing in. Yes, Now from we the need t- to extract and have a filter when it goes pulling it out. Correct. So it's more circular.
1: Yes, top to bottom is ideal, or bottom to top is also okay. But usually top to bottom is the best and not sideways. Clean air is a quality of life issue. It's just like drinking water. You could have horrible tasting drink water that doesn't make you sick but is gross. That's quality of life. Or you could have drinking water that doesn't make you feel that well. You always feel a bit queasy. So we are very particular about what we drink. And these days we even put it in bottles. Great. So we don't even open the tap anymore. Okay. So we're very aware of it. But what is stunning to me is that what we breathe in, we're kind of totally tolerant. And I think it comes from the days where, you know, cars' exhaust are normal. Uh, smoking is normal, whatever, whatever. People have finally got sense of, hey, secondhand smoke is a problem. That was the start towards the air quality movement, realizing that passively breathing in junk just doesn't make you feel better. And frankly, if somebody can take care of the common space, the most common space we have is the air we breathe. It needs to be taken care of. We take care of the temperature of the air. Too hot, too cold, no brainer but how we filter it is still considered secondary and a luxury. Heavens, today we spend more time indoors than ever before, which means the contamination is higher and the possibilities of having a cleaner work environment are easier. At home, we actually go to great lengths these days to make sure our homes have good air filtration. We buy these ionizers. We change our filters in our air conditioning regularly, blah, blah, blah. Then we go to the office. And we have no control over that because it's the landlord or the company that controls that space. And heaven forbid if you're a worker in a factory and you're welding, well, then you just, you know, shake it off. People have been doing this for years. Become a man, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Oh, really? That's so brilliant. On the other side, it does require investment. It does cost money. Well, so does bottled water. Opening up the tap costs exactly zero. For a glass of water, cracking the top of of a water bottle costs serious money, serious environmental Im- impact. But we want it because it improves the quality of the water we drink, and we think that's important. I think people need to be just as mindful about the air we breathe. Now, I just want to quickly, before I forget this, go on to one very critical, critical, practical point. A lot of the air conditioner guys will say, yes, yes, yes. Air conditioning has filters in it. As far as I'm concerned, that is an engineering failure right there. The filtration system on an air conditioning system should ideally be separated from the air conditioning system because, in other words, those filters can become the source of contagion if the filters are not properly managed. Those filters become the home of everything you're collecting. Mm -hmm. Those are the garbage cans would you really put the garbage can in the middle of your living room? No. Your garbage can should be in a separate location, closed up, and there should be a bag in your garbage so that when you're done, you can safely take the garbage out, that you don't have to go in there with your hands and pull out pieces of garbage by hand. That ideally, that filter should be a HEPA filter. When you draw, they call it makeup air, when you draw fresh air in from outside, It should go through HEPA filtration, theoretically, so that you don't bring in aerosols and floating things from outside, absolutely. But the makeup air is very rarely HEPA, and people will argue, well, makeup air comes in when you open your front door and there's no filter. I agree. But does that mean because there is some mud in the water that we should start adding more, wood? It's about concentrations. We want to reduce. A little bit of pollen will not give you as much allergy as a lot of pollen. Concentration matters. In fact, all specifications are normally written around concentrations. So clearly, concentration is a key element of any engineering practice that you implement. There is no such thing as zero in the real world, except money. You can have zero money. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. But that's a very important piece. It, when you are looking at engineering out, what is the, you know, how much does it remove?
1: Okay. So, so what... me,
0: in practical terms, what people need to be looking for when you are like, I have a filtration, a small filtration in my house for a purification system. Now, if sure. I wanted to take that to my larger commercial area for a store, what to as me a, that as would a be a complete waste person? of
1: No, that would be so what I would do in a store, first of all, I would start with the most critical zones, which is where people stand and line up. That would be a checkout area or check in counter at an airport. So we sit on a plane and it's very safe. A plane is actually a very safe space to be in because they've got Amazing air filtration systems in aircraft. Okay, but when you are standing about to board a plane, or you are sitting in the main area, there is no safety around there. Those aerosols are floating around there. So when you are sitting, or when you are standing in a lineup at a at a supermarket, at a pharmacy, or even sitting in the waiting room of a doctor's office waiting for an X-ray or whatever, those are the dangerous air spaces. Those are uncontrolled airspaces. So you're sitting there. You don't know what the person across from you has. And even worse, the person that was already walked out, you don't even see them anymore. They left behind. If somebody smoked a cigar in a hospital waiting room and left, and you came in 10 minutes later, would you be able to smell that somebody had been smoking a cigar in that room?
0: Yeah. If the
1: answer is yes, They have terrible ventilation system going there.
0: And so So I I just want to, again, I want to put this in practical terms for our audience. Yes. For health and safety professionals who right now are in trying to figure out how do I mitigate this risk? So when we're doing a risk assessment in our workplaces, we have to be looking at where are the areas that people are congregating, standing around, maybe people are at workstations. Correct. And those are our hot zones.
1: Absolutely. So, if there is a hot zone where people are moving into through a space, let's let's draw a, um, an imaginary box, and people are walking through that imaginary box. So, if somebody's standing at a lineup to get on an escalator, there's a lot of flow through that space. So, there you need high updraft. It's almost like we're walking through one of the entrances of a supermarket where they're blowing a sh- A wall of hot air. That would be extreme. But essentially, you want to have areas where people are transitioning across. You want fairly high updraft. So you're continuously sweeping fresh air, filtered air into that zone so that the next person coming into that zone does not immediately get the previous person's stuff in. But here's what's critical we are not trying to build a perfect system. What we're trying to say. If one person is infected, and they are breathing in a space, and they move on, that it isn't another 20 people that are exposed to that person's space. It's maybe one or two. Now, that might sound terrible. Are we going to sacrifice one or two? Well, in the real world, if an accident happens, it's going to happen. People are infected. They can sneeze on somebody. But are we wanting to involve 20 cars in the accident? Or do we want to increase following distance so that the accident is kept to those two cars involved in the primary accident and the rest of the people can safely stop? Because what's happening right now in an analogous form is that by not having this HEPA filtration and this good you know, vertical draft, we are essentially having zero following distance. So we've got a major pileup. So one person is infected at a grocery store, they didn't even know it at the time, they got sick the next day, and everybody who walked into that space to pay for their goods, maybe it's twenty people in the next thirty minutes, they now are subject to that person's infection, and they didn't even know it and yes. so what I'm
0: hearing you say to me again, going back to when I'm doing my my assessment, that risk assessment of what are the hazards in my own unique workplace. Yes. That's very important here. So for me, I'm looking at where my cashiers are. I'm looking at the lineup area of where customers exactly. line up. That could be in the, the cashier area. That could be in the deli area, anywhere people Absolutely.
1: are lining up. And then
0: what I'm also looking at next phase would be where are my workers standing and where are the most populated departments Absolutely. where people uh, have a lot of foot traffic Am I getting this right?
1: Absolutely. So let me give you some practical examples. If I were designing a supermarket tomorrow with air quality and viral transmission in mind, I would put a series of intake ducts under every shelf. So that's where the air gets sucked in. And above every shelf in the ceiling, I would put an outlet panel. So what would be happening is that there would be continuously air flowing down and being sucked in underneath. It's not that I am saying that if you stand next to somebody who breathes on you, you will be safe. But heck, at least somebody coming to that shelf five minutes later is not going to be subjected to that same air. If somebody smokes a cigar at the shelf, you come five minutes later, you wouldn't even smell that somebody was smoking there. And that's how you test it. It's not just a theory. You can test it with cigar smoke or some other smell source. We can really validate how long it takes to remove an aerosol, which then will indicate how long it takes before that space is safe again for the next person to breathe in without any risk or very, very low risk.
0: And this is something that we can be applying for many air quality reasons.
1: Exactly. And it becomes quite an irony. It suddenly means that from going outside, inside, the air quality will improve because we spend a lot of our day in there. So you may be outside and the air quality is a little bit low that day. You go into your supermarket and you have better air qualities. Your allergies clear up. At the moment in a lot of these systems, there is it's equal or even worse. Some closed spaces in older buildings are even worse. So and it's all about filtering and correct airflow. It's the combination of the two the direction of the air nicely spread, and it just needs pragmatic design work and HEPA filtration. And the HEPA filtration system, the recirculation, the pool pump, needs to be a separate system from the air conditioning system. And it needs to be sitting outside the building, just like the trash, the large trash roll-off bin, the compactor, which compacts the waste, sits outside. The air filtration system with those filters Remember, those filters are a trash container of fine particles. They need to be in what I believe a smart box. Nobody ever sees or touches that junk, and it gets taken away. Now, here's an interesting example. Uh, a vending machine. A vending machine is a perfect place where people will walk up and touch it. So you want to wipe that down regularly with a disinfectant that hopefully has you know, a disinfecting period that is longer than just the white period so maybe it's an antibacterial surface but then people stand there Uh, below below a vending machine There should automatically be something that sucks the air down and above a vending machine should be um, a hood that so when you walk in front of a vending machine that's maybe very busy there's a very slow downdraft So you don't walk into the space of somebody who was standing there two minutes ago smoking a cigarette. You don't smell it anymore. It's being cleaned. Viruses and the common cold spread because we have really paid so little attention to the downflow and the HEPA filtration. We just use regular filters and those are actually breeding grounds for spreading stuff. They're not well maintained.
0: Okay, and so now I want to go through this a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about the different risks that are involved here. And so I get my system, figure out the kind of system that was being needed for my environment in the areas of those hot zones. So the ne- one of the next things that's coming into my mind, and there might be a lot of the in-between Um, but I'm just thinking quickly um, in a conversation, is now the person that has to clean those filters because they're not going to clean themselves. They're not just going to disappear magically and new ones come out. So that's another thing that comes in my list of things. Right,
1: and that's where Blue Sky, my personal company, our whole, my design and why I got into this field was that I used to be a producer of very hazardous Dust waste, because we did metallizing, we did thermal spray, we had, we had hexavalent chrome, airborne, blah, blah, blah. And we used to have good systems to take it out of the air. So we checked that box. But the collector was a complete nightmare. In industry, these collectors, can you imagine, every single one of them out there, they've been 100 years of installations with. Men, women have to go in there and physically pull those filters out by hand, with covered in these contaminants. It's insane. So the whole concept that I've basically come up with is that the filter itself should be in a box. And the best analogy of this is the inkjet cartridge. The ink is inside the cartridge and when you change out the cartridge, you don't see the ink. You pull out the cartridge, you put a new one in, and you go, you never messing with ink. It's a clean operation. Our filters, which are laden with the worst contamination, because fine dust is terrible stuff when it's concentrated. We are still all around the world. Every single filter is manually handled. And I'm going, that is the most insane thing imaginable. Think about the oil filter. Nobody pulls the the filter out and then oil dripping. You unscrew the canister, you put it aside, you screw in a new one. That is an encapsulated filter. It's called an oil filter on your car. That is the same principle of the smart box. It's an encapsulated element.
0: I just want to back this up a little bit here because what people will be saying is, well, that person can wear PPE. And I want to again drive the point that our job as safety professionals is to eliminate and mitigate So saying that somebody who has a very high hazardous job can simply put on some PPE in order to deal with it, I don't believe that we're doing our job well enough, if that's our solution. We need to think about new ways of elimination.
1: Absolutely. And if you don't ever have to touch it, you don't need PPE because PPE needs training. It needs quality, the PPE needs to be disposed of, and if there is an accidental spill, somebody puts the thing down, it falls over, something falls off the filter, you're dealing with a contaminated space. And when you're dealing with large stuff, the chances of something going wrong during the handling becomes larger and larger. If you're dealing with a small thing, the chances of something going wrong are much lower, but on an industrial big filter scale, it the problem gets compounded it gets really hard and there's room for error and there's another important thing which every regulator as far as i'm concerned should should mandate when it becomes large industrial equipment that's dirty to maintain that normally goes to the lowest paid employee because it's dirty manual usually under bad conditions work. And it's delegated down the food chain, if I can use the expression. So normally the guy is doing maintenance on big equipment with hazardous stuff, like dirty filters. That is not a high paying job typically. And and even if it were, nobody really wants to do that work. Nobody wants to take the garbage away.
0: And that's even in retail. Like when I think about in the store, who actually does that job it's typically they're getting the the clerks the lowest paid people in the store to run over and grab the bins or grab the garbage and throw it out and then they put that into a larger bin that then a truck comes and collects but in between in the store zone those employees that are risk the, the lower Absolutely. paid staff. And I want to drive home this point also, because this was really what frustrates me is these are marginalized people who don't even get health benefits because they're part-timers. So when they're sick, Michael, they don't have uh, benefits to fall back on. Like a and lot it's of even well-paid they people They cycle
1: do. in and out of work. Normally the lo- they go to a new job and then f- a lot of the problems related to dust infections or, or dust They come later. When you smoke when you're younger, the real impact of your smoking habit will materialize later in your life. A lot of the work practices that people have when they are younger, lowerly paid workers, they will reap the consequences of that later. And as leaders, as management people, as regulators, the people that need to be protected are those people. Because they don't know what they're doing. They think they're bulletproof, and they will do whatever it takes to essentially earn an income. They have to. So it it is far smarter to design something that is intrinsically safer. And when it comes to dealing with trash and dirty contaminated parts, it is far safer to design the darn part that it is low risk and it can't cross contaminate that you don't need training that you don't need paperwork because it's safe by design it's you don't need special regulations you simply need a regulation to say you cannot use the old style and that's what i bring want to bring around with filtration is filters should never ever need manual manipulation they should always be contained in an enclosure I call it a smart box. And on industrial scale, that's obviously where I'm focusing because that's my area. But in general, whether it be a syringe needle, whether it be the trash in your own home, whether it be the poop you pick up from a dog, it should be inside a package and nobody puts their hands in there. Sorry. In dust collection, in aerosol collection, everybody is looking at the chronic problem. And the acute problem, we deal with special precautions, special gloves, special PPE. I'm saying, hey, we can have our cake and eat it here.
0: What I'm seeing, Michael, is that everybody is looking after quick fix solutions to handle what's happening today right now. this in, within this five minutes. People are not looking at those developments that happen gradually over time, over a prolonged exposure. Like yes. I'm thinking of one person who who worked his job for a good twenty five thirty years, and then over that he developed horrible horrible condition, but Correct. it was never accepted because they looked at it like oh you just got this. They didn't look at it like well it it was developing over a long period of absolutely. time. Absolutely, you know That's the classic. I'm concerned about.
1: Absolutely. So the classic example in the U.S was Aaron Brockovich, right? People were drinking the drinking water. It had small concentrations of hexavalent chrome in the drinking water. And over the continual drinking of regular tap water, these people all developed terrible, terrible diseases from the continual use, or, or not use, but drinking of water contaminated with this. So the world is flooded with, you chew, chewing tobacco, you will develop mouth cancers over time. It's just part of what happens. Because it's continual use. You use it once in your life, you are not going to develop a cancer from using it once. However, if you have a terrible incident, like you are taking out a filter that is contaminated with a disease, you will get that disease. So the one-time deal is a problem as well. But we are dealing with two problems when it comes to contamination of the air. It's the long-term effect, and it's the sudden acute exposure. There are two real problems that need to address when it comes to contaminants.
0: Do we need to also be concerned about the long-term effects of air to our workforce? Because we're looking Absolutely. after the short-term right now.
1: Absolutely. In the long-term, by implementing good air quality control, sensible up-down flow, People will feel better at work. They will actually want to get to work. Imagine you go to work and your allergies are less than when they're at home. The air smells good. So it's good to your clients, good for you. Suddenly the workspace productivity will increase. If you go to work in a smelly building that potentially has mold, people will not feel well in that environment. They may show up for work but they don't feel great. You walk into a space that's well lit and smells clean, you are immediately inspired. When we get a new car, it smells good, it's clean. You get into an old, smelly, moldy car, it's gross. These are such obvious things. They're exaggerated examples. So longer term, you improve the quality of the workspace. Through the breathing, the simple breathing experience, the smell experience, you get tremendous unintended benefits. In the short term, you reduce the spread of, you know, airborne viruses. In the longer term, you just improve the overall well-being of the people and their experience in your workplace. Yeah,
0: that and that's really what I wanted to to be getting into when we we are doing our discussions is I want to be bringing back that we need to be going back to the basics of looking at what can we eliminate and what can can we control before we even ask our workers to be doing things, making it as little as possible that is their onus.
1: Absolutely, so if I had my, my dream for everybody, my wish, it would be that all public spaces are engineered from day one or retrofitted with absolutely heating, cooling, and humidification system, and in parallel as a separate system, an up-down airflow system, which has got HEPA filtration attached. And for a good engineered system, the HEPA filtration, which is a trash can for air, It's a trash can that that gets handled as a smart box. Nobody ever opens that darn trash can. The trash can is discarded because that particular class of trash is very dangerous when exposed again. And that it gets managed as a trash can.
0: Okay. And so I really want. Um, we have actually recorded our, our discussion because we started to have a discussion and we were getting into some really good stuff. So this is a bit raw. But one <laughs> thing I did want to ask is because right now we've got a lot of um, places that have sent people home for yes. an isolation period Yes, that has been called on up here in Canada. Which anyway. is a good
1: idea, by the way. It buys yeah, but, us time.
0: Yeah, it buys us time. but. This is what I want to ask you, because we yes. do have time. So what can health and safety professionals be discussing with those planning teams about ways to, when pe- before people come back, help clean out the air? Is that an unreasonable expectation? No, this
1: is the key, 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 what I want to almost shout from the mountains today Right now, because now we have time, is when people return to normal functions. Let's begin by going to the grocery store, maybe going to the government offices to pay a bill or to speak to the mayor or somebody, to line up somewhere, anywhere where people will line up in the next six weeks' time, that those places are immediately equipped with local air circulation units so that people that move from one space to another, that includes escalators, stairwells, school buildings, entrance halls, that those places where people are transitioning through more than one or two in five minutes, that they have ventilation systems installed that filter out aerosols, so that anybody walking into that space doesn't inadvertently infect 20 other people potentially.
0: Okay, so you've talked about a lot of public areas, grocery yes. stores, government yes. services, etc. cetera.
1: So if you have a place, a Starbucks lineup, right, With yeah. coffee, you need a lot of air up and down because people are moving through fast. If you're in an office environment, I would implement HEPA filtration. Absolutely. I would also, in the entrance halls to the offices, in the coffee area where people go and refill their coffee, I would put more ventilation.
0: Okay, so they do have to do something.
1: So please don't
0: go away from our our conversation thinking, well, I'm not in a grocery store or government building, so I don't have to do anything. What, Michael, you're actually saying is, yeah, they have to do something. And in those zones, again, where people are congregating, look at when you're doing your assessment, Look at where are people congregating, meeting yes. rooms, coffee areas, etc. Um, Big
1: open plan offices. They yeah. should absolutely have this. An individual's office can have very low. It's almost like your home. You can have smaller units that passively clean out the air. So if somebody comes into the room, it's a little bit cleaner. It's like smoking in at home, right? Versus a bar where there are hundred people smoking in a bar and thank goodness it's banned but you would need a lot of ventilation to keep that area smoke-free whereas at your room at home if one person smoking you could get away with slightly less ventilation because there's okay. not so much source so there's a little bit of a balance large open plan offices call centers they need ventilation up up and down with HEPA filtration in my opinion
0: for example.
1: Absolutely.
0: So even if your plant usually didn't require filtration for what you're doing, for air quality control, you need to be putting something in measure to to filter out.
1: I think it's just good practice. In a big plant with big ceilings and that, with a lot of air movement, the dilution is huge. So it's not quite as critical and intense as retail spaces, as government offices, heaven schools, bus terminals. If they're in the open and the wind's blowing, perfect. No problem there. I have no fear with open spaces. And this is why I believe the winter is the worst possible time and why these epidemics spread like crazy in the winter. Because we close our doors Mm. and we warm those spaces. We don't make them hot we warm them we bring them up to a temperature which is toasty so that we don't freeze to death and under those circumstances we close the windows we close the doors and then people walk in and out and those aerosols spray there is how do you get a room to be really smoky close the windows and the close the doors those same aerosols could contain bugs
0: Well, thank you for taking your time to do this chat today. I do appreciate that.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I'm obviously trying to shine a light on something that I consider is so obvious when you reflect on it. Mm -hmm. And the only thing you have to basically take on good faith from the experts is, A, that we are breathing out aerosols in the same way that when we breathe out smoke when we're smoking, Secondhand smoke is real. It's an aerosol. That's the number one, that we do breathe out aerosols, that these aerosols remain in the air indefinitely. That cigarette smoke will hang in the air for an hour. And thirdly, that those aerosols do contain bugs, germs, viruses. They can contain bacteria. And therefore, would you like to walk into a room where 10 minutes ago, somebody who was infected had been standing there having a normal conversation, going about their business, and you walk into the airspace. The same way we don't like to walk into a smoky room and the smoker has already left the room, yeah. leaving his stale air behind.
0: And that infection could be a number of different things. Because like when I went on to the Center of Disease Controls, um, there's a lot of different things that are out there.
1: Absolutely. Do you know what's absolutely driving me nuts right now in the current thing? Yes, we have to wash our hands. Yes, we have to wipe down services. But is anybody in the the, the government circles, and I realize they don't want to panic people. They don't want to make you afraid of walking into a public space. Of course, we don't want silliness to start coming up. But they should be speaking openly and saying, listen, pharmacy groups, large retail guys. I do not understand, for instance, Amazon. I've written a letter to Amazon, and I've said to Amazon, imagine your Whole Foods retail outlet. that you guys proactively put in decent laminar flow ventilation, the way I'm describing, with HEPA filtration that nobody touches. You tell the public, our HEPA filtration will never be touched by a serviceman. It'll never see the, you know, exposed to anybody. Intrinsically safe, but in our stores, if you shop in our stores or in six weeks time, we have the system in place. If you prefer to go to another store, be my guest. Companies, big commercial operations, whether it be Starbucks or Walgreens pharmacy or whatever particular chain is in your country, the commercial enterprises could actually differentiate themselves and tell their clients, we have taken very expensive steps To safeguard your health when you enter our public space because you don't control the air you breathe when you're in our store we do and we're going to take some basic proven methods that you are not going to be breathing in the air that the previous person that was in our store left behind
0: that concludes our discussion with dr. Michael Seitz the founder of blue sky I hope you enjoyed the conversation If you're looking for our show notes, please navigate to safepedia.com under topics and then podcast. Yes, it's true. We are having a first safety online conference in October. The buzz is true. It's Safety Connect. And if you'd like to register for free as an attendee, please go to industryconnectsafety.com and you can sign up there. And if you want to learn more about being a speaker and an exhibitor, just reach out to me and I can help you. And still, if you're looking for safety resources to share out with your teams, please go to safepedia.com where you can find webinars, articles, and Q&As. Until next time, stay safe.